0: Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the wonderful Juliana Barshut. Juliana is a physicist and she stepped forward to talk about the experience of working collaboratively in the lab and also the double whammy of working in a foreign country. And I love the way that Juliana approached. These challenges. She is a new hero of mine, and I really do hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Juliana. Good morning, Emma. Thank you so much for being here. You so generously stepped forward and said, actually, I would really like to talk about my experiences and um, the challenges and how you've dealt with them. And I I just thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it when people do this, because especially the material you wanted to talk about today, I think is really important, doesn't get talked about enough. And um, I know it's going to be helpful to people. And also just to take this opportunity to encourage other people, if you think oh, I I would really like to share my experiences and help other people, please do let me know, because uh, I would I just love it. And I thank you so much for your generous spirit, Juliana. I'm really looking forward to um, hearing from you today. And um, the first thing we always do is to people to talk through their own story so can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about your journey into the PhD and through the PhD process?
1: Yes so I am a physicist and I started being a physicist when I did a bachelor's degree in physics in Germany so I did my bachelor's in Berlin I'm originally from Germany so that made sense Um, (laughs) and I found the bachelor's really Challenging for several reasons, including that it was very theoretical and not very connected to kind of current research, but was kind of doing a lot of a lot of maths and derivations and so on, which I mean are part of the program, but it was it was a bit dry. So I decided to change university to a different one for my masters. So that's the kind of the typical journey in Germany: you would do a bachelor's and a master's, and only then start thinking about PhDs. Um, so I switched to a different university um, in Halle, which most people probably won't know, but it's a smaller university um, that had a master's with a particular focus that I was interested in. So it was a mm. solar master's in physics, but they had kind of different focus areas you could choose from. One of them was photovoltaics, so the science of making electricity from the sun, wow. um, which is also what I do now. So I do now also research materials, new materials for solar panels. Um Amazing. And because that was a much smaller program and there was much more contact with the professors, I got quite a lot of research experience from that. Um, and yeah, did my master's thesis, kind of doing a research project in the lab, doing really hands-on experiments and then analysis and so on, and I really liked that. And I was like, oh, okay, this is actually really cool. I really like this research aspect of it. So because of the way this master program was structured, I already got quite a nice insight into what it would be like to do lab research. Um, so after that, I decided I wanted to continue doing that and also wanted to continue that particular topic. So this particular group of materials that we were looking at for solar panels. Um, and I was applying to a couple of places in Germany for Ph.D. positions. And then a friend of mine challenged me and she was like, I know you're really ambitious. I know you would be annoyed if you didn't try. So who is like the guy in your field? And. Um, and I would make this more gender neutral, but I am in physics, so it is likely to be a guy yeah. anyway. But <laughs> um, So she was basically challenging me, like, who would be the group to be the research environment to be in your field that would be really, like, top of your field. I love this. I we like, all
0: need this friend, right? This person yeah, who goes, push yourself. I love it.
1: Yeah. And I really loved her kind of almost daring me yes. to to, yes. Believe, to believe in myself and think, OK, where would I, would where would be, like, my top wish list if yeah. no circumstances mattered. And it was just like, scientifically, who would be the wish list candidate? And it was this research group in Oxford. Um, and I was like, yeah, whatever, um, sure. And she was like, no, no, go and fill in the paperwork. And I was like, She's okay, fine. good. So I went and applied. Um, and yeah, actually got invited for an interview. And I was like, oh no, no, I actually have to take this serious. And flew to Oxford for the interview and really connected well with one of the presses there. And it just made a lot of sense scientifically with what I had done before in the master's and what they were doing and so on. And so I was actually offered a PhD position in Oxford and then spent about a week being like, oh, my God, am I moving to a different country for this or not? Wow. Um, so I had about a week where I was kind of deciding between an offer I had in Germany and the offer I had in Oxford and then decided to make the jump and move to Oxford for this. because. It was just, it was just exactly the right topic for me, and just the right context, and all the like equipment they had, and all the expertise they had was just, just really what I liked. Um, so, I decided to go, and I mean, I'd been to the UK before and so on, so it wasn't like that big of a deal. But the scientific systems, the the way universities are structured, the way degrees work, aren't quite different. So, it took me a bit to kind of work out. Well, like by the stage you do a PhD you think you've been at a university long enough that you have a rough idea of how it works but then you switch to a different university system and you're like oh wait this doesn't work like I think it works mm-hmm. so that was an interesting um, experience but a lot of people had a similar experience but also international and so on so that was mitigated for but it took me a while in the beginning to kind of get started and be like how does this work Who do I talk to about what and so on so that was um, the thing and then I did my PhD in Oxford for, well, four years, technically. Um, and, well, I'm an experimental scientist, so I spent a lot of time in the lab, a lot of time analyzing my data, and then finally writing it up in papers and then the thesis. Um, and because to really answer interesting science questions, at least in my field, you often end up using a lot of different methods, a lot of different techniques, a lot of different setups. Um, So some of those I was trained on myself and used them, but some of them are so advanced that getting the proper training on them would take too long to make it sensible to do all of them. So you end up relying on other people who are experts on that particular setup to do some measurement for you, and then you feed that back and compare that with your other data and so on. So you end up collaborating a lot with other people in the same research lab, but also with people in neighboring research labs and then with... external collaborators and that was an interesting thing to kind of manage and to well manage the shared use of space and equipment but also manage expectations of sure everybody is happy to collaborate but also at the end everybody does want something out of it and how do you kind of um, balance that so everybody gets their due both in kind of things like authorship but also in access to measurements you're an expert on and so on so it's often kind of a very friendly but important to negotiate trade where it's a bit like well I'll give you those samples you do that measurement for me and then we both get something out of it kind of thing yeah so
0: let let's get in with to this because this was the topic we thought let's let's really dive into because it's the double whammy then of the collaborative process and you describe the ups and downs of the collaborative process which you've kind mm-hmm. of already hinted at. And also, then working in a foreign country, so you're you're working with other people, but you've, you're also in a in a new environment. So, tell us so you've already hinted at some of the some of the challenges, but can you outline how that was the particular challenges of of that experience?
1: So, I think the the relocation and the international aspect. I think you have some of that whenever you move to a new city, a new university, which mm. is quite common for people to do, to pursue a PhD. Um, but you get the added um, extra aspect of operating in a different language, which to yes. some degree, some stuff was already happening in English in my master's, but it wasn't the language I was operating in in like everyday interactions. Right. Um, and then operating in a different set of unwritten cultural rules.
0: Right. Um, <laughs> right yeah
1: which especially universities are full of them
0: yes
1: um and it it can be tiring to navigate not that it's necessarily creating massive conflict but it's just the day-to-day kind of trying to understand what exactly is happening around you is is actually physically tiring so I, yes. I think the first two months or so I was actually quite tired most of yes. and how did you and living how
0: in did a different you-
1: language and so on
0: and how did you negotiate that in terms of, uh, yeah, finding out exactly what was going on and what was expected? Mm.
1: So what helped enormously is that, especially in the experimental sciences, we are typically structured in research groups. So you've got your PhD supervisor, who's, let's assume they are a professor, who have a research group. So there are other PhD students, there are postdocs, there may be master students who all kind of are related are connected to that professor um so you have things like weekly group meetings you have shared offices that you all use you have shared labs that you all use so you have a, a group of people who uh, are your colleagues um mm. and mm. that helps to provide a lot of structure that also helps provide people who are just a year ahead of you or something like that and who you can ask a lot of questions to and who may or may not also be international but who at least have the experience of how do I navigate this university? How do I who do I ask for what and so on? Right. So that so, helped a lot.
0: So reaching out to other people um, yeah. and and did you find that were kind of there was a generosity there from people?
1: Yeah, generally yes. So most people were quite happy to to help kind of bridge misunderstandings and so on. And I think for me, what helped a lot is try trying to get a lot of the unwritten rules into like yes. the explicit. So actually asking people, I don't feel like I know what the expectation is here. Can we talk about what the expectation is? And it just, and it's it's a little bit daunting if you're new to like yes. say to your supervisor, I don't understand what the expectation in our weekly meetings is. Can we spell that out a bit? And yes. just weekly uh, really making that explicit. And oftentimes it becomes actually quite funny when it's just little miscommunications. Like, I don't know. Germany where I'm from is a communication wise a fairly direct culture. So you know what people want from you, they will tell you. And that may sometimes come across as rude, but it typically you don't have to try to guess what people want. Um in the UK, especially in Oxford in the academia, there is A different level of kind of politeness and Ah. expectations, expectations kind of hidden behind certain phrases. Right. So one that was really funny for me because that it was funny because I knew what was happening in this case was I had just arrived and I needed to do a lot of safety lectures before I was allowed to go in the labs. And some of them were like regularly scheduled and that was all clear. But there was one that I needed And I knew it was like a legal requirement. I wasn't allowed to operate a machine I wanted to use without the safety lecture. So I knew very much that it was a requirement, Um, but it wasn't clear when it was happening. So my supervisor was trying to find out when it was happening. And then he emailed me and informed me when it was happening and then wrote, would you please consider attending? (laughs) and i just sat there and i was like what is there to consider why should i consider it it's a legal requirement like so because i happened to know that it was very required i understood what was going on but in other contexts i would have thought there was actually a decision for me to make right right whereas it was just yeah so 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 that that. i think that is just
0: fantastic the way in which you've approached that with humor and with generosity yeah. of spirit. Um, but I think also that the really important thing I want to draw out of that is that sense of actually asking for clarification. Because I think a lot of people have this expectation of themselves that they should know everything. And why oh. should you? If you were starting a new job, which is what you are doing when you're starting a PhD, you wouldn't expect yourself to know everything. So, so I think this sense of asking for clarification, um, it's really really important um because otherwise you can tie yourself up in knots trying to negotiate mm-hmm. a situation that you don't really understand and actually people generally as you said are, are generally very happy to clarify and to share um actually you'll be surprised at how much help there is out mm-hmm. there for you so I, th- I think that is such a useful example thank you so yeah. much for that
1: well and just one small add-on Asking people to clarify what they want from you sometimes means they actually have to think about what they want from you. Yes. So sometimes <laughs> yes, yes. sometimes they haven't yet decided what their expectation is. Yes. They're just vaguely unhappy with how you're doing it. And then if you actually ask, well, what do you want me to do? Uh, or who do you expect to be taking notes or whatever? Then that helps to just bring everybody on the same page.
0: Is that, I think it is a real gift to everyone, like you say. It takes... It takes... some courage sometimes Mm. in that situation to step out and do it but uh, but you can feel a sigh of relief because everyone's like okay yeah no now we're clear um and you know we talked about before in terms of having contracts with your supervisor and things that sense of really clarifying what's expected because it can really help everybody
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um fabulous so this kind of challenge of negotiating expectations anything else you would highlight from this kind of as I say, double whammy, this mix of collaboration and in a in a foreign country?
1: So for me, the collaboration aspect, I was very grateful because my supervisor and the surrounding professors who we worked with a lot, they were very good at negotiating that. Right. So they were very good at recognising that if you do a big project and lots of people contribute to it, people are going to be annoyed if they aren't being credited in the end. Right. And especially if they had different expectations of how they would be credited and so on. So right. we often relatively early in projects had pretty clear conversations that basically basically boiled down to who has ownership of this project? Who is driving it? So which PhD student's project is this? Which then typically translated to who's writing it down in the end and who is the first author in the end? Right. Um, and then everybody else has the expectation I will be a co-author but I'm not expecting to be first author which is a the first authorship is very important kind of CV wise and prestige wise and so on yes so for example I made a lot of thin films of my material and I had other people who were really good at a specific characterization method they never made their own samples they always got samples from other people but they had this really advanced characterization method so we did like a trade-off where. I wanted some of their characterization for my paper that I owned and would be first author on. And then they were like, I don't know, third author on it. But then a couple of months later, they wanted a series of samples so they could do a really complex study of their own. And then I would spend a week making those samples, giving them to them. And it was clear that on that paper, they would be first author and I would be, I don't know, fifth author or whatever, depending on how many other people were involved. So just making very clear from the beginning. Because if you end up with multiple people who had somehow expected that they would be the first author, you get into really tricky territory and it's yes. really complicated to pull apart after the fact. But if you start kind of, if you're like, OK, let's outline what this project is, who is doing what, what does that mean? And it's not that be necessarily then spelled out who will be what author, but it's just if it's clear it's that person's project, then that yes. kind of follows. Um,
0: yes. And and. and- the sense of clarity again is really really important and I think um it obviously has a particular challenge in the sciences but I think it it speaks to the arts too that people might be involved in collaborative work and Mm. then they need to write that up and then that often that's when the negotiation happens at that time when the pressing Mm. um, deadlines are and actually this sense of of what you did in terms of right at the beginning sorting that out it it's really can save a lot of heartache later on. Mm.
1: And on the flip side, having this con- collaborative environment was extremely useful for me because it a meant I didn't have to reinvent the wheel all the time and learn every method from yes. scratch. Yes. I could go to people who were experts in a particular method and say, "I want to do this measurement because I think it will help me better understand my thing. Can we do it together? Can you do it for me? Can you train me?" Like depending on how much I was going to use this. And It meant I didn't have to then put all of them go back to the basic literature of how this works. I had people there who already knew who could get me jump started, show me the right paper to start with and so on. And it also provided structure, which is something I saw a lot compared to friends of mine who were doing, for example, history, PhDs, where if I hadn't shown up to the shared office or to the shared lab for a week, someone would have noticed and been like, what's going on? What are you doing? Um, So just this almost like workday structure of like I'm probably in the lab at some point like I probably make it to the office at some point between nine and ten and then I'm around and I might be doing things on the computer I might be doing things in the lab so just this having a context where you go to and being quite clearly marked off as like I am working on the PhD now and then I go home and I'm not working on the PhD which now with the pandemic and working from home has been challenging but um that's kind of, for me at least, a post-PhD thing because I have finished the PhD. But um, yeah, I think the having that structure and also to some degree being like, well, I am leaving the lab now, so I am done for the day. So having this yes. this end point. Yes. And I mean, yes, you still may answer like one email once you get home, but like broadly, and I was quite lucky that my lab had a good culture of that as well. Like I, I remember some people who needed to come in on the weekend because they were doing like 48 hour long exp- and needed to like measure every couple hours or something and then our boss asking them directly well which other days are you taking off because you've been on your weekend so wow
0: I love that
1: having a like yeah having a clear culture of that like why your weekend is gone okay but what else are you taking off now
0: fantastic and I think as you say for some people they will need to be their own boss um in terms of saying to themselves mm-hmm. okay so what time are you taking off this week and of course we're our own best bosses in some ways it's like would you like to stay in bed a bit longer yes you can but also we could be our own worst bosses in terms of not allowing ourselves time off like other people would give us permission in a way that we mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily to ourselves I love that and I also just love I want to pick up on what you were saying about in engaging with other people's expertise I think that's so mm. important like you don't have to do everything yourself sometimes it's it's a it's that sense of drawing on other people's expertise working with that um so that you don't have to start from the beginning every time really really important
1: mm-hmm.
0: Well, wow. well there's a lot there's a lot in there thank you so much I so now I, I always finish very unfair question in terms of asking people for a top tip (laughs) so out of that whole experience all those years (laughs) of experience what top tip would you give to people who um perhaps are in in a similar situation to you found yourself in
1: um I would tell people to ask for help um because coming in I was both a bit intimidated by the people I was working with because they were all very cool mm-hmm. uh, and very perfectionist myself.
0: Right.
1: So I was actually struggling to ask for help and say, I do not know this. Can we right. work this out together? Yes. Um, and once I started doing that more, things got much easier because a people actually knew when there was a problem so they could help me and b) oftentimes it was resolved much faster than if I had just struggled with it on my own. So Finding connection and using those to ask for help and say, "Hey, have you done this before? Can you show me where to start?" Um, is is really saves you a lot of uh, unproductive
0: hours of trying to work it out yourself. Yes, yes, yes. That is a golden top tip, and I know perfectionism is. Uh, most academics are perfectionists in some way or the other. And so I, I know that that will speak to so many people. Um, and, yeah, to not get into that kind of paralysis um, mm. state because of the perfectionism, but actually to ask for help. Golden, thank you so much. Juliana, it has been truly a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you again so much for your generosity of spirit in terms of coming forward to share this um, information. We're going to have your um uh, details in the show notes um, and uh, some more information in the show notes. So we also every week we have notes from the last life raft, which has some extra information. So you can sign up for that too if you would uh, like to get some extra information. Thank you, well,
1: Juliana. Well, thank you for having me. This
0: was a pleasure, and thank you for listening.